0: We're reading this evening from Psalm 74. O God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the nation you purchased long ago, the people of your inheritance whom you redeemed, who you redeemed, Mount Zion, where you dwelt. Turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins, all this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. Your foes roar in the place where you met with us. They set up their standards as signs. They behave like men wielding axes to cut through a thick of trees. They smash all the car paneling With their axes and hatchets, they burn your sanctuary to the ground. They devour the toiling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burn every place where God was worshipped in the land. We are given no signs from God. No prophets are left. And none of us know how long this will be. How long will the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe foe reveal your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. But God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monsters in the water. It was you who crushed the heads of the Levians and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up strings and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours. Sorry. Sorry. The day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the life of your dove to these wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Have regard for your covenant, because haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mocked you all day long. Do not ignore the glamour of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemy, which rises continually. Amen.
1: Thank you, Tim, for leading us uh, to this point, and for Lizzie, for a bit of a marathon. It was. We're <laughs> grateful. Yes, if you could turn back to, hopefully you still got it open, um, Psalm 74 and it claims to be a psalm of asaph one of 12 psalms um, of which that's true Uh, asaph we think was one of david's three chief musicians but psalm 74 appears to be referring back to the destruction of the temple in babylon probably in 596 bc about 400 years after david and we don't think asaph lived that long so what we might actually be looking at is, does this work by the way, Richard? I can, yeah. um, what we might be looking at is a psalm produced by the Asaph school of songwriters or something like that. Uh, maybe part of a collection from the Asaphites, which is not a word I made up. Apparently that's what they call the temple singers. But none of it matters. It's a psalm of Asaph. It's recorded in the Bible as that, and, we'll, and for convenience, I'll refer to Asaph as the psalmist, so rather than going through the rigmarole each time of explaining. It, it might not be an actual man called Asaph. So the psalms divided into. Do I arrow down or nothing happening? Is the slide switched on the other side? On here. Know about the on-off switch? No. <laughs> ah, super, lovely, thank you. Uh, right, so the psalm, uh, the, the the destruction of the temple. Somebody's that wasn't one I did. Um, <laughs> it looks pretty grim, I think, because it's meant to. And we'll we'll read about this as we go through the psalm. We'll we'll look into it. We've already heard it read. Uh, I've um, picked up the idea from the ESV study Bible of dividing it into those sections, the last of which is one I've added because that's what we're going to do at the end. So that's that's what we've got in front of us. And let's start with the first one. So looking at verses 1 to 3, let me say before we say any more that this is not, as you'll have already realized, a happy psalm. I think we can come to church sometimes with a very shallow idea that we need to be made happy, We need to go out with smiling faces and a bounce in our step and it's nice when that happens and it often does and many many psalms in the bible would 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 have that effect on us this psalm is also in the bible it's written by real people um, two and a half thousand years ago but real people of god who went through things that made them feel like this and they're talking to god about it so it's, it's in the Bible for us to look at. It would be wrong for us to just uh, dismiss it because, it, well, it, it's a bit sad. Well, yes, yes, life is sad at times, and part of growing up is to learn how to, how to handle that, and hopefully we are all very much still growing up as God's people. So, starting off with, Oh God, why do you cast us off? So the starting point is, is clearly feeling rejected, rejected by God. Oh, God is a, a genuine anguished cry of a real believer. Uh, in other words, one who trusts in the real living God. This is not OMG that we nauseatingly hear so often today. Um, Why do you cast us off forever, he wants to know. Well, it kind of indicates how Asaph feels, how, how things look to him at that moment. He talks about uh, God's anger smoking and smoldering against his people. And his people are, he points out, the sheep of God's pasture. So immediately there's a conflict, isn't there? He, God, seems to be against us. Isn't he meant to be for us? Isn't the shepherd meant to be for the sheep, looking after them, caring for them? And this sheep theme, uh, was it last week's memory verse, would be relevant at this point. Uh, But This uh, sheep theme is a really common one in the whole of Scripture, and particularly in the Psalms, repeated lots of times and um, well, read the most well-known one that we're um no that's isaiah we're learning from isn't it but it's psalm 95 verses 6 and 7 come let us kneel before the lord our maker why for he is our god and we are the people of his pasture the flock under his care this is a picture of god that asaph has got and yet all of these things are happening so, verse 2, remember. He, he, you might say, has the temerity to tell God to remember things like, like God could forget. To remember what? To remember that he purchased this people. There are redeemed people. Redeemed, definition, a, a, a possession that's been regained in exchange for payment. So there are people who have been bought back or bought by God. And the expressions purchased and redeemed come from the Song of Moses, Exodus 15, verses 13 and verse 16. In your unfailing love, says Moses, or sings Moses, you will lead the people you have redeemed, the people you bought. Uh, It's a bit like Asaph is saying, Oh God, remember your purchase of us, of old, where your redeemed inheritance. Surely if you've paid for something... Uh, you would justifiably think it's yours. you jealously possess it. I I bought that, excuse me. Be careful what you're doing with it. And God has purchased these people, and yet all these terrible things are happening. We'll look into just now. Remember also, he says to God, remember Mount Zion, Jerusalem, where where you have dwelt. The very place you dwelt, now destroyed. Uh, So moving to verse 3. Uh, turn your steps towards these uh, everlasting ruins. There's a, there's a. The NIV has gone through lots of iterations, lots of translations, and there was one that came and went, uh, 1982, it seems. And uh, whether anybody happens to have that one with them? But instead of turn your steps, to, um, how has it worded? Turn your steps towards these everlasting ruins. It says pick your way through them, which I thought was quite. You can actually, I mean, we see awful pictures on the news, don't we? I mean, maybe uh, that place in Hawaii, um, Hawaiian Islands, would do as an image in our minds or many of the Middle East war scenes we see with terrible regularity. Uh, the idea of picking your way through ruins is very graphic, I thought. But wh- whichever is the best translation, turn your steps towards these everlasting ruins. Uh, and again, remember Mount Zion, where you dwelt, the very place that was special that you were present in is the thing that's now destroyed. And this everlasting or perpetual ruins, this is just simply the way it seemed to Asaph. It's, it's impossible to think of this being repaired. This is the state of it. It's terrible. And then, um, see if we can... Yeah, good. Um, Onto the next uh, four, uh, so many verses, uh, four to eight. They have destroyed the sanctuary. Verse four, notice the expression, your foes. They're not just our enemy, God. They're your enemy. It's the people who are against you. Um, their battle cries, like, a, like a, mo- a mob-like roar, in the very place where we're used to meeting, in quiet, quiet holiness, where you meet with us. Can you imagine the feeling you would have at the very place where you've met God so many times in quietness. And there are these people there, roaring like animals. Um, And they're signs, they're signs, military standards, we think, being set up in the tabernacle just to mock them. And verse 5, it's it's a picture of violent mayhem, isn't it? Compare it with a picture of men slashing their way through... Uh, through a jungle with machetes, through jungle undergrowth. Maybe they're doing it for a good purpose, to, to cut a path. The, these people are doing it just to smash everything up. The place where you met with us. This is God's special meeting place. This hurts. It's appalling for them to remember, to contemplate. This place of all places. So in verse 7, we see the expression, the holy ground. The sanctuary burned to the ground again recent news pictures would make us picture that quite well now and defiled i mean uh, actually a bit closer to home than middle of the pacific is that pub in <laughs> birmingham the crooked house i mean there's always going to be rumors aren't there that this seems a bit suspicious the fire engines couldn't get to it and then it was knocked down before anybody had a chance to say it shouldn't be and it looked like it was been targeted and that's what it would have looked like here. Like you, You're picking the very places that are precious to so us. I dare say even more precious than the Crooked House pub. And, uh, and then in, in verse 8 we read it. In fact, it's every sacred uh, meeting place has been burned. Because there'd be other places where God, God's people met to worship him, to read the law, not just the sanctuary, not just the tabernacle in Birmingham. Birmingham. I'm still in Birmingham. Jerusalem, (laughs) sorry, the crooked house has got into my head. And um, so the enemy just looks like they're absolutely intent on destroying God's places, the most precious places. And uh, 10 years later, Jerusalem was totally sacked by the Babylonians. That's why most people who thought about this think that this is not that. This is a time before when they came and just targeted God's meeting places. Um, so it sounds pretty awful and it's no wonder that the psalm started off with why why, oh God have you rejected us we too often I think use the expression a God forsaken place but surely this would have felt exactly like that and historically I would suggest this is actually quite common an attempt to crush Christianity the worship of the true God and that from the Bible shouldn't surprise us that much Compare what we've been saying just now with Jesus in John 15, verses 18 onwards. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. So we shouldn't be too surprised when we feel targeted. Maybe our churches haven't been burnt down. But Christianity and it's, its... Foundation and its beliefs. So moving on, and you seem silent. Verses nine to eleven, it must have been baffling to them that God seems to be silent. Perhaps even maddening. Verse eight, we. uh, Verse nine, sorry, where enemies have been setting up their signs to mock us, our signs are non-existent. What, what are our signs? What are the signs that people have thought? So, well, any, any miraculous sign from God, but especially prophets speaking for God. We sometimes underestimate how miraculous that is, that God should speak to us at all in any way. There's something miraculous about what we're doing tonight, opening up God's Word, God's revelation to us. God didn't need to reveal anything to us, but there it is, and we can trust it. So there's there's something wonderful and miraculous about that, something we couldn't have set up ourselves. So no prophet speaking for God. No one left to say, thus saith the Lord. Um, So, as the psalmist goes on, so none of us knows how long. It's like being in the dark. It's like being in a tunnel with no light at the end. So we ask you, verse 10, how long? How long, O Lord, is the foe to be allowed to get away with this, this scoffing, this mocking of you and us? Is it forever? And just picking up on that expression, how long. Isn't it true that how long is an expression that we, as temporal creatures, people, creatures of time, unlike God, uh, are likely to say to a timeless creator, it's always us that's in a hurry, isn't it? It's never him. Is never Christ. One of the particular things you pick up from following the um, New Testament, the gospel accounts of Jesus on earth, uh, is his almost timelessness, his unhurriedness. And even that expression that Paul uses in Galatians 4, verse 4 but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. It was all in God's timing. We, we can be in a hurry. God isn't, God doesn't need to be, and God isn't. So verse 11, why do you do nothing, God? There's frustration. This bit about the, the right hand being tucked in his garment, probably a, a, a modern equivalent would be you are wanting somebody to act and be bothered about this situation, and they're hanging around with their hands in their pockets. For goodness sake, do, do not care. Brings us to verses twelve to seventeen. But you have done such wonders in the past. When we hit the word "but" in, a, in the in the Bible, and, and indeed in any literature, in any writing, it always means a change of direction. That's that's how the word is used. It's a uh, there's probably a posh. But it's a conjunction that changes the direction of a sentence, and this one does too. Um, all of these things we've just described are the state we're in, and the enemy seems to be. Just having, having its own way. And yet, Lord, you've done all these things in the past. Well, well, what things? There is a change of tone. And he starts with, my king. My king, he describes God as. He's, he's not a man who's lost his belief. He's in anguish. He's frustrated. He's puzzled. He's baffled. But he hasn't lost his belief. And my king from long ago, says the NIV, from of old, says the ESV. I really like that, and I love the hymn we had earlier, Rock of Ages. There's something deeply satisfying and comforting from thinking about things that connect with the distant past. Now, I know we can live in the past, and that's that's the ditch on the other side of the road, but but uh, just thinking that, you know, was somebody's referred it to to it as chronological snobbery, where because something's old, and it, obviously we don't anything to do it, whether it be hymns or Bible translations or whatever, well, it's, that's, that's not good enough. Our God is from of old. So we don't glorify things because they're of old, but we do respect them, and God's always been there. God is timeless. He is of old. So thinking back to God's dealings with, the, with him, the psalmist, in the past, from the beginning even what we might compare that to our conversion is a good thing and we can do even more than that we can talk and think about long before we were born obviously we don't have what we would call first hand experience of that but just pick up some of these Isaiah 49 verse 1 before i was born the lord called me from my mother's womb he has spoken my name Jeremiah verse 1 chapter 1 verse 5 before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And then more familiar possibly with Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And remember that what the Bible says uh, that Jesus was slain, slain for Asaph, slain for you and for me. Before the foundation of the world, there's a slight discussion about how that can be translated in Revelation 13, verse 8. Written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. This timelessness of God is there for us to be seen, probably throughout Scripture. So, my king from of old... uh, is a kind of antidote to the how long, O oh Lord. It's, it's, it's looking at things in a different way, a bigger, a wider perspective, a longer perspective. And this God who uh, is working or bringing salvation. Uh, Asaph recalls God's great accent, evidences of his creation. It is a bit Job-like, if you're familiar with that book, where God himself does this. He, he goes through Uh, The things he's made, Leviathan gets a mention there as well, Liz. Uh, And um, uh, talk of monsters and whatnot. Here, most commentators seem to be convinced that this is figurative language for Egypt uh, from the time of the Exodus, hence seas split open at some point. Uh, So it it then then becomes a, a reference to the rescue. We've just talked about him working salvation arrest the rescue of his people but he feels that it seems right now like god you don't care you have hands in your pockets and yet you did these great things you rescued us and he goes on to say in verses 16 and 17 you you create and govern the world everything's ordered and orderly there's day and night there's the sun and moon, um I have to say this because it absolutely fascinates me, but I've probably done it before, so forgive me, but the the sun and the moon, I think the proper expression is subtend the same angle to somebody stood on the Earth as each other, which is another way of saying they form a disc in the sky exactly the same size as each other to the, to the finest degree, so that we can have. A solar eclipse, where the sun is just perfectly covered with the moon, to the extent that you get beads of light appearing, where this edge of the moon represents valleys on the moon. So the sun shines through the valleys, but not through the peaks. I don't know whether that (laughs) that computes with you. Uh, So God says in Genesis, he made, well, tells us that he made two great lights, one to govern the day, one to govern the night. And they just happen to be absolutely exactly the same size. Apparently, from here, they're nowhere. Near. I think is it four, is it one of them four hundred times the width of the other, and four hundred times further away. Don't know. Might have got my figures wrong there. But that's that's exciting. And this this is the God. This is the God who He's querying. You've you've rescued us in wonderful ways. You're you're an amazing Creator God. Uh, there's order everywhere. And then we're looking at this disorder, that terrible painting that was we looked at to start with. And the, the boundaries of, of summer and winter, the, the seasons. It, you know how it works. The, the earth has a, a, an axis, and it's tilted in relation to the sun. So as, as we go, as the earth is spinning, that axis stays the same. It travels all the way around the sun. So at certain times of the year, it's like we're leaning towards it. We'd call that summer at other times, we're leaning away from it. We call that winter. And um, not, not to labor the pun, you could say the earth is inclined to have these seasons. Uh, but like Asaph, we know who inclined it. Uh, we can praise God for the way these things have been designed, the sheer order of it, the wonder of it all. So this is surely a great perspective to have, to, to remind ourselves of God's greatness A great perspective to return to when things are going badly, which they very obviously are for Asaph and his people. Uh, So we can, with Paul, quite reasonably consider that our present sufferings, which in this case are pretty bad, are actually not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed and that God works for the good of those who love him. He is actually a God in control. How long, O Lord? Well, leave that with him. So moving on to verse 18 to 23. Have regard for the covenant and deliverers. Another remember as if God could forget, uh, the enemy's mocking and scoffing. It's almost like the psalmist is saying, Lord, remember this. I hope you took note of it when it happened. I hope you remember what these people actually did. Um, they're reviling your name Um, definition of reviling criticizing in a abusive or angry or insulting manner so this is boldness isn't it on the part of the psalmist to to present these things before God remember these things he's telling the Lord to remember like come on you promised promised that he'd redeem them brought them back purchase them of old And almost saying to God, you need to come down from your lofty heaven and try picking your way through these ruins. Lord, please don't ignore their clamor, their uproar, their mockery. And then in verse 19, he contrasts the dove, a clean bird, an innocent bird, depicting Israel, that's how they saw themselves. And the wild beasts of the foreign powers, the enemies of the true God. The one needs protecting from the other, pretty obviously. And it's clear he knew who they were. So in verse 20, we need to note that he's arguing that the Lord should have regard for his covenant, not for their good conduct. We'll look at covenant in a second, but the, the appeal is not to the people's merit. It's not saying, Lord, we, we've been good. We deserve better than this. Most things today that happen that are bad, you hear somebody on the news saying they deserve better. They deserve a better education. They deserve a longer life. They deserve... The it's a common word used today. People seem to think everybody deserves... Well, they, they think that they themselves certainly deserve something good. That's not what Asaph's saying here. He's appealing to God's covenant with Israel the covenant God's promise to the patriarchs usually summed up as people land and blessing and Abraham promised well let me read it from Genesis 12 1 to 3 the Lord had said to Abraham as he was then go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you I will make you a great nation and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That includes us sat here in Wem this Sunday night. So it's been referred to as the covenant. Covenant is kind of agreement as the covenant God and Father of Israel's king and people. So verse 21, just think your. are uh, what it would be like, O oh God, if your oppressed people were retreating in disgrace? How does, that, how does that tie in with your covenant? What does that look like, given your, your promises, the agreement we thought we had? Your oppressed people retreating in disgrace. The poor and needy, not able to praise the name of Yahweh. This would not look anything like a fulfillment of the promise, would it? The, the covenant. And in verse 22, he challenges God to defend his cause. Well, bear in mind that the latter end of the covenant, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, the cause is that God chooses a people for his purposes, which includes bringing a light to Gentiles, people like us. But yes, Gentiles, like the ones who are currently busy mocking you, O God, by doing terrible things to our places of worship. So, having seen Asaph's boldness and persistence, what's the the basis for his confidence and, and ours, if we can identify ourselves with him? The basis of Asaph's confidence coming to God in this way. Uh, well, I suggest possibly six things. Um, one is the... The knowledge that he had that they were and we are the sheep of God's pasture. The very people he will be looking after. And that they, in the same by the same token, they were the people he purchased of old. And we remember that verse in Ephesians 1. He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be a holy and blameless people in his sight. And then, secondly, that these... If slightly related to it, well, closer related to it, these are the tribe God redeemed as his inheritance who live on Mount Zion, his dwelling place. We can translate that into New Testament language by saying Christ has brought us back from sin slavery and we're now to be found in him. He is our dwelling place. Thirdly, uh, despite what's happened, Asaph is clear that God is their King from of old and fourthly he the King brings salvation upon earth that's what he does you can see his salvation in the past you can see salvation in your own past and it's reasonable reasonable to look for it in the future Uh, fifthly In view of all this past history of rescue, of redemption, of salvation, and that God is the mighty creator who's created an ordered world, yes, surely he should and will answer. It's inconceivable that he would not answer our plea. Now, should we, I suggest, should we not have a similar boldness in praying for our church and our... Increasingly amoral and non-god fearing nation. Now we will have a boldness, I think, if we're at all bothered about God's glory. I mean that the amoral, amoral meaning not moral, like nobody has a clue what's right or wrong. Um, it could be that in your lifetime. Um, won't get into ages never I should say our lifetime <laughs> um, the Christian church suffers the equivalent of the targeted attacks that we've been reading about in in this in this psalm I obviously none of us know and we might find ourselves in a position where we're crying how long oh lord it it feels bad enough now when we look at some of the laws that have been passed in in re- recent years but as i say we will be bothered about god's glory and everything but everything comes back to god's glory so leave it there i'm just going to pray and then i'm going to announce the last hymn which is this psalm which you're going to sing (laughs) see how it goes. It's an unusual song to sing in church, but it's a song that people sang two and a half thousand years ago, and I can't really see why we shouldn't, but we've found another tune. Well, I don't know what their tune was, uh, but we've got a tune to sing it to. So let's just pray, and then we'll do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a real word. It, it isn't all fun and happiness and laughter, although all of those things are in there. We thank you, Lord, that sometimes it does squarely look at awful things and the dilemmas that your people face when it feels like you've abandoned them, when it feels like you're silent, it feels like you don't care. And yet, Lord, deep down, like Asaph, we know you do care. So, Father, we pray for the faith to be able to be bold in our talking to you, to be willing to remind you of the agreements you've made, the promises you've made when we are tempted to doubt and we ask father that uh, we would uh, be humble enough lord to accept your timing and that you'd make us strong enough to 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 last until that right and correct time comes for your salvation in whatever form we're talking about so father help us we pray and help us now lord as we sing our way through this psalm to uh, take on board again what it is you're saying to us tonight Help us, Lord, to live it out as well, to be willing to talk to you in the way this psalmist did, in respect, but also, Lord, this isn't right. Your glory is at stake. Something's not right here. So, Father, help us, we pray, as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.